0: Chance encounters. The Bible is full of them. You've been suffering from a bleeding disorder for many years when one day a young rabbi walks by and you grab his cloak and you're healed. You've been unable to see since you were born. You hear rumors of a miracle worker and then you hear he's walking through town right at this very moment and you cry out and you're healed. You and your wife are old and without children then one day three guests appear out of the blue and you welcome them and they speak prophetically and sometime later your baby is born. Chance encounters, the Bible's full of them. Now speaking theologically, we'd have to say that there was really nothing chance about those encounters. We'd have to at least be open to the possibility that these encounters were planned, if not by the one in need, then by the one meeting that need. God we believe is not random. God does not rely on serendipity, or coincidence, or fortune, or luck, or chance. God creates those encounters. God makes them happen, which places God somewhere outside chance, outside coincidence. From our perspective, though, such encounters seem mysterious, unexpected, and so apparently random or coincidental by chance. Only when our eyes are open can we discern the bare outline of God's footprints on the ground all around us and so come to know that what seemed to be a chance encounter was, in fact, a visit from the holy. Maybe in the form of three travelers, maybe in the form of an angel sitting on a tombstone, or maybe in the form of a complete stranger. Now, on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. One of them was named Cleopas, and the other's name is not given. And neither is a gender. Some think that the two travelers were Cleopas and his wife. So just to make things easier, let's go with that. We'll call her Sarah. Cleopas and Sarah were on their way home to Emmaus. And they were walking home, Luke tells us, on that same day. Now that same day was the first day of the week, the same morning when Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, and some other women had gone to the tomb. They carried with them to the tomb spices and perfumes for attending to the body of their dead friend. What they carried away from the tomb was the story of a chance encounter. Two men in dazzling white appeared and started chiding them for looking for their love in the wrong place. The two bright men told the women to remember what they'd been told, that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again. And so these sisters carried the tale of their encounter back to the boys in Jerusalem, who at first didn't believe them. But that's another story. It was on that same day, that same first day of the week, the same day when the women met up with the shining angels, that our friends Cleopas and Sarah were walking back home to Emmaus. It was a seven-mile journey, nice walk, say three miles an hour, so something over two hours. Or maybe three, depending on the heat of the day and the numbers of hills and the quickness of their step. Who knows, maybe even four hours. Plenty of time to talk about all those things that had happened. Now, Cleopas and Sarah were likely Shomer Shabbos, uh, devout Jews, people who kept the Sabbath faithfully, which is why they waited until the first day of the week to begin their walk home. The holy days were over, and so they were headed back to their normal routines. And so we see them walking to Emmaus and talking with each other about all the weird, wild, and terrible things that they'd seen and heard while they were in the big city for the holiday. Now we've been around long enough to know exactly what events happened in Jerusalem on the previous few days, events that had left Cleopas and Sarah both baffled and sad. We know about the prophetic entry into Jerusalem and the prophetic reclamation of the temple we know about the Last Meal and the betrayals. We know about the arrest and the torture. We know about the cross. We know about the death. We know about the tomb. I mean, you think you know exactly what's happening, and you know it's big, it's important, it's, it's life-altering, maybe even world changing. You've heard to talk about the coming reign of God and the kingdom of God, and you've, you've begun to dream about it and to imagine yourselves in it. You dream of a time and a place of justice and peace, of restoration, and the fullness of God's presence among the people. You've imagined beauty and joy and wonder and abundance, and you can see yourselves walking to it, entering this time and place of blessing, only in the real life, in the real world, in real time. You find something else. You find yourselves entering a world of pain. You're entering a world of pain, and you don't know what went wrong, and so you go home, hopes dashed upon entering a world of pain. Now they thought they were walking alone, all bound around by their confusion and their sadness, clinging to each other, perhaps as we always cling to the one we think understands best what we're going through. Too caught up in their own world to notice that someone was walking behind them too tangled up in blue to notice that someone was quickening his pace in order to catch up with them, too weighed down to even lift their heads when the stranger began keeping step with them. Now sometimes there's a man, I won't say a hero because what's a hero, but sometimes there's a man, well he's the man for his time and place, he fits right in there. and, And so it was, the stranger just fit right in there, keeping step, keeping company maybe even intruding a little on their grief. And though Cleopas and Sarah didn't know it, their chance encounter with this stranger would change everything. They'd met a stranger who was exactly right for their time and place. Whether the man was a hero or not, well, we'll leave that to them to decide. So now there are three of them walking to Emmaus, Cleopas, Sarah, and the unnamed stranger. We know who he is. We know who he is. But for some reason, Cleopas and and Sarah don't know him. To him them he's a a complete stranger, a man with no name. But let's not keep him that way. We won't use his real name because that will spoil the surprise. So we'll just pick something out of a hat, a nickname of sorts, to tide us over until we can reveal his new name. So let's call him the Dude. Um, We could try other nicknames, variations on a theme, his dudeness, Duder, El Duderino, if you're not into the whole brevity thing. But I prefer to keep things simple since this is only a temporary nickname, so the dude it is. So now there are three of them walking to Emmaus, Cleopas and Sarah and the dude. And the dude asks what's bothering them, what they're discussing with such intense feeling. Cleopas and Sarah stop walking and they look at the dude, and then Cleopas explains. Actually, he starts out by accusing the dude of being completely out of touch with reality. There's a laugh for us. Not for Cleopas and Sarah who who did not recognize the dude and so figured him for just another clueless bumpkin who wasn't paying attention as the sky fell all around him. Then Cleopas explains the sorrow that he and Sarah share and the weight of their ruined hopes and the dreadful surprise they felt on entering a world of pain when what they expected was heaven on earth. And then the really weird coda to it all. Women going to the tomb and coming back with their faces still shining like the sun and telling Cleopas and Sarah and their friends that they'd seen angels. So, some of them ran off to the tomb and it was empty, no angels or anyone else to be found, just an empty tomb. Then the dude speaks. Cleopas and Sarah, you're out of your element. How foolish you are. How slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things? and then enter into his glory. And they began walking again, Cleopas and Sarah, and the dude walking toward Emmaus. And as they walked, the dude gave them a crash course in prophetic history, starting with Moses and going all the way to Malachi, and explaining what it all meant and how it all fit together and and what it had to do with the story that they'd just heard from the women with their faces still all aglow. Have you ever had a chance encounter, an unexpected meeting, Um, not simply bumping into an old friend in the grocery store, or recognizing your third grade teacher at market, or coming across some long-lost bosom buddy on Facebook. I mean, those are all nice. Assuming you like your third grade teacher, those are all nice chance meetings that can bring a little bit of sparkle to your day. But have you ever been sideswiped by grace in the person of someone, someone whose coming seems timed perfectly and just for your sake, maybe an old friend, maybe a stranger, but someone who started walking with you for a little while, and who listened to your tale of sorrow, and then spoke plainly and and truthfully in a way that did not diminish your story, making it seem small by comparison, but instead put your story in its proper context, the context of a larger story, a meta-story, a story that made sense of your story in ways you'd never have imagined had it not been for that chance encounter. Now, back in the day, we would have called such encounters entertaining angels unaware. Am I right? Uh, Entertaining angels unaware, a, a spur to showing hospitality to everybody on the off chance that the stranger we were welcoming might indeed be an angel, an invitation really, to never assume that we are beyond the presence of the divine, that God is in the room, and that in our guests we may well encounter God. This is why the Benedictines bow to every guest who comes to their door, because it might be Jesus. And even if it's not, there's enough of Jesus in that guest to warrant the extravagant gesture. Have you ever had such an experience, one like our dear friends Cleopas and Sarah had while walking home one day? I suspect you have. Am I right? Am I right? I think we all have. I think such encounters happen all the time. The thing is, we don't always know it when it's happening. Our eyes are closed, maybe. Or maybe they're too focused on our feet, slowly moving us from one place to the next. Well, finally, two hours or three hours, or maybe even four hours later, Cleopas, Sarah, and the dude arrive in Emmaus. This is Cleopas and Sarah's stop, their home. And so Cleopas and Sarah take on that awkward posture that precedes the ending of a long conversation. You know what I mean. The hemming and hawing and wrapping it up things we do before gently breaking the connection. And they started moving off toward their house. But one of them, let's say Sarah, looked back and notices that the dude is heading on through town. The sun is beginning to go down. And the dude has no place to lay his head. And Sarah takes pity on the dude. And she and Cleopas insist that he come home with them, that he come and abide with them. And the dude agrees. The dude abides. They welcome him into their home. The dude waits while Cleopas and Sarah put their things away and begin to rustle up some food. And the dude explores in that polite way of guests, checking out the house and its contents. And he notices a rug on the floor. And it's not a fancy rug or an expensive one. Probably weaved by Sarah. Or is it woven by Sarah. Anyway, a plain rug, but it served its purpose. It it really tied the room together. Now, finally, Cleopas and Sarah are ready, and they invite the dude to come to the table. and And when he's at the table with them, he takes bread and blesses it, and breaks it, and gives it to them. And the world stops, just like that. Time stands still. The universe holds its breath because this is the moment, the moment when truth is revealed. The moment when eyes are open. The moment every last one of its faces somewhere along the way. The moment when we see a stranger, the dude, transformed. Then their eyes are open and they recognize him. And he vanishes from their sight. He vanishes from their sight. Gone, but not forgotten. Their eyes are open. They recognize him. Still the dude, the one who accompanied them along the way. But not just the dude. Jesus. That's his real name. That's his given name. That's the name they take with them back to Jerusalem. Cleopas and Sarah turned to each other with that almost comical look of transcendent recognition. Did you see what I saw? Was that who I think it was? You too? My heart was burning all the way home. I never heard the scriptures taught so clearly and with such passion. No wonder my heart felt like it was on fire. The dude is Jesus. And then they up and run all the way back into Jerusalem. Or or maybe they walk. Luke tells us they return to Jerusalem and find their friends. And they tell their story of what they saw and what they heard and who they met on a chance encounter on the road home to Emmaus. And they told how Jesus was made known to them. And the breaking of the bread—has that ever happened to you? You're sitting around a table with some friends, maybe somebody you just met, or in any case, you're with you're with people with whom you feel comfortable, talking, laughing, eating together, and then time seems to stop for a moment—just a heartbeat, really. Time is suspended; the universe holds its breath. And in that moment, you recognize that Jesus is is in those guests suddenly in that split second that changes everything. You're aware that what Jesus promised, that wherever we were together, he was right there in our midst, that that promise was true. Has that ever happened to you? It happens to me all the time if I'm paying attention. A couple of Sundays ago, Easter Sunday, we... We celebrated communion together, and and just before I took the loaf of bread and and started to recite the words of institution, I had one of those time-stopping things happen to me. I saw Jesus here among us, I saw that Jesus was here, and I I saw his face in your faces. Time stopped. The awareness washed over me, and and I had to pause to catch my breath, and then I began to recite the words, that which I received I've also handed on to you. It was a chance encounter, a side swiping by the Spirit, an unexpected opening of my eyes to what was really going on in that moment. Jesus was here among us. Maybe you noticed it too, maybe not, but I did. You're Sitting over dessert with some dear ones, you're reminiscing, you're teasing, and, and then things get serious for a moment. The natural normal ebb and flow of conversation among friends, and then time stops, and and you catch a glimpse of something or someone, a glimpse of the depth of your love for your friends, a glimpse of their love for you, a sudden awareness of being well and truly blessed, knowing that you were made for moments just like this, moments when the veil is removed and you can see the brightness in your loved one's faces and so recognize them for who they truly are, the children of God, sisters and brothers in Christ, companions on the way incarnations of god's own love and so each one bearing the image of christ has that ever happened to you i hope it has moments like that moments moments like that are what keep me sane by which i mean they keep me properly oriented they cause me to turn again to the source of the light source of the joy, the the source of all the good that I experience in such moments, such moments I believe are gifts from God, miracles really, opening our eyes that are so often incapable of seeing clearly what is all around us and who is right beside us and who is showing us the way. Has this ever happened to you? I hope and pray it has and often. And I hope and pray, too, that when such moments come, whether in the breaking of the bread or the sound of laughter or the shedding of a tear or or somewhere near a tree in the wilderness, I pray that when such moments come, that we will be ready to be surprised, that we'll be ready for our eyes to be opened, that we will be blessed with a vision of Jesus just when we need it the most, just when we need it the most. And so remember that he abides. Dude abides, Christ abides. Christ abides with us, among us, all around us. Christ abides. Lord, open our eyes to see. Amen.